Thomas Paine was one of the great minds of the American Revolutionary period. To him more, perhaps, than to any other one person, we owe both the beginning and the happy ending of the Revolution, for it was his keen mind that both helped in drawing up the Declaration of Independence and in persuading the signers of that document to translate it into terms of reality. In speaking of the source of his great storehouse of knowledge, Paine thus described it. Any person, who has made observations on the state of progress of the human mind, by observing his own, cannot but have observed that there are two distinct classes of what are called thoughts, those that we produce in ourselves by reflection and in the act of thinking, and those that bolt into the mind of their own accord. I have always made it a rule to treat these voluntary visitors with civility, taking care to examine, as well as I was able, if they were worth entertaining, and it is from them I have acquired almost all the knowledge that I have. As to the learning that any person gains from school education, it serves only like a small capital, to put him in the way of beginning learning for himself afterwards. Every person of learning is finally his own teacher, the reason for which is, that principles cannot be impressed upon the memory, their place of mental residence is the understanding, and they are never so lasting as when they begin by conception. In the foregoing words Paine, the great American patriot and philosopher, described an experience which at one time or another is the experience of every person. Who is there so unfortunate as not to have received positive evidence that thoughts and even complete ideas will pop into the mind from outside sources? What means of conveyance is there for such visitors except the ether? Ether fills the boundless space of the universe. It is the medium of conveyance for all known forms of vibration such as sound, light and heat. Why should it not be, also, the medium of conveyance of the vibration of thought? Every mind, or brain, is directly connected with every other brain by means of the ether. Every thought released by any brain may be instantly picked up and interpreted by all other brains that are en rapport with the sending brain. This author is as sure of this fact as he is that the chemical formula H2O will produce water. Imagine, if you can, what a part this principle plays in every walk of life. Nor is the probability of ether being a conveyor of thought from mind to mind the most astounding of its performances. It is the belief of this author that every thought vibration released by any brain is picked up by the ether and kept in motion in circuitous wavelengths corresponding in length to the intensity of the energy used in their release, that these vibrations remain in motion forever, that they are one of the two sources from which thoughts which pop into one's mind emanate, the other source being direct and, immediate contact through the ether with the brain releasing the thought vibration. Thus it will be seen that if this theory is a fact the boundless space of the whole universe is now and will continue to become literally a mental library wherein may be found all the thoughts released by mankind. The author is here laying the foundation for one of the most important hypotheses enumerated in the lesson self-confidence, a fact which the student should keep in mind as he approaches that lesson. This is a lesson on organized knowledge. Most of the useful knowledge to which the human race has become heir has been preserved and accurately recorded in nature's Bible. By turning back the pages of this unalterable Bible man has read the story of, the terrific struggle through and out of which the present civilization has grown. The pages of this Bible are made up of the physical elements of which this earth and the other planets consist, and of the ether which fills all space. By turning back the pages written on stone and covered near the surface of this earth on which he lives, man has uncovered the bones, skeletons, footprints and other unmistakable evidence of the history of animal life on this earth planted there for his enlightenment and guidance by the hand of Mother Nature throughout unbelievable periods of time. The evidence is plain and unmistakable. The great stone pages of nature's Bible found on this earth and the endless pages of that Bible represented by the ether wherein all past human thought has been recorded, constitute an authentic source of communication between the Creator and man. This Bible was begun before man had reached the thinking stage, indeed, 
before man had reached the amoeba, one-cell animal, stage of development. This Bible is above and beyond the power of man to alter. Moreover, it tells its story not in the ancient dead languages or hieroglyphics of half-savage races, but in universal language which all who have eyes may read. Nature's Bible, from which we have derived all the knowledge that is worth knowing, is one that no man may alter or in any manner tamper with. The most marvelous discovery yet made by man is that of the recently discovered radio principle, which operates through the aid of ether, an important portion of nature's Bible. Imagine the ether picking up the ordinary vibration of sound, and transforming that vibration from audio frequency into radio frequency, carrying it to a properly attuned receiving station and they're transforming it back into its original form of audio frequency, all in the flash of a second. It should surprise no one that such a force could gather up the vibration of thought and keep that vibration in motion forever. The established and known fact of instantaneous transmission of sound, through the agency of the ether, by means of the modern radio apparatus, removes the theory of transmission of thought vibration from mind to mind from the possible to the probable. The mastermind, we come, now, to the next step in the description of the ways and means by which one may gather, classify and organize useful knowledge, through harmonious alliance of two or more minds, out of which grows a mastermind. The term mastermind is abstract, and has no counterpart in the field of known facts, except to a small number of people who have made a careful study of the effect of one mind upon other minds. This author has searched in vain through all the textbooks and essays available on the subject of the human mind, but nowhere has been found even the slightest reference to the principle here described as the mastermind. The term first came to the attention of the author through an interview with Andrew Carnegie, in the manner described in Lesson 2. Chemistry of the Mind It is this author's belief that the mind is made up of the same universal fluid energy as that which constitutes the ether which fills the universe. It is a fact as well known to the layman as to the man of scientific investigation. That some minds clash the moment they come in contact with each other, while other minds show a natural affinity for each other. Between the two extremes of natural antagonism and natural affinity growing out of the meeting or contacting of minds there is a wide range of possibility for varying reactions of mind upon mind. Some minds are so naturally adapted to each other that love at first sight is the inevitable outcome of the contact. Who is not known of such an experience? In other cases minds are so antagonistic that violent mutual dislike shows itself at first meeting. These results occur without a word being spoken, and without the slightest signs of any of the usual causes for love and hate acting as a stimulus. It is quite probable that the mind is made up of a fluid or substance or energy, call it what you will, similar to, if not in fact the same substance as, the ether. When two minds come close enough to each other to form a contact, the mixing of the units of this mind stuff, let us call it the electrons of the ether, sets up a chemical reaction and starts vibrations which affect the two individuals pleasantly or unpleasantly. The effect of the meeting of two minds is obvious to even the most casual observer. Every effect must have a cause. What could be more reasonable than to suspect that the cause of the change in mental attitude between two minds which have just come in close contact is none other than the disturbance of the electrons or units of each mind in the process of rearranging themselves in the new field created by the contact? For the purpose of establishing this lesson upon a sound foundation we have gone a long way toward success by admitting that the meeting or coming in close contact of two minds sets up in each of those minds a certain noticeable effect or state of mind quite different from the one existing immediately prior to the contact. While it is desirable it is not essential to know what is the cause of this reaction of mind upon mind. That the reaction takes place, in every instance, is a known fact which gives us a starting point from which we may show what is meant by the term mastermind. A mastermind may be created through the bringing together or blending, 
in a spirit of perfect harmony, of two or more minds. Out of this harmonious blending the chemistry of the mind creates a third mind which may be appropriated and used by one or all of the individual minds. This master mind will remain available as long as the friendly, harmonious alliance between the individual minds exists. It will disintegrate and all evidence of its former existence will disappear the moment the friendly alliance is broken. This principle of mind chemistry is the basis and cause for practically all the so-called soulmate and eternal triangle cases, so many of which unfortunately find their way into the divorce courts and meet with popular ridicule from ignorant and uneducated people who manufacture vulgarity and scandal out of one of the greatest of nature's laws. The entire civilized world knows that the first two or three years of association after marriage are often marked by much disagreement, of a more or less petty nature. These are the years of adjustment. If the marriage survives them it is more than apt to become a permanent alliance. These facts no experienced married person will deny. Again we see the effect without understanding the cause. While there are other contributing causes, yet, in the main, lack of harmony during these early years of marriage is due to the slowness of the chemistry of the minds in blending harmoniously. Stated differently, the electrons or units of the energy called the mind are often neither extremely friendly nor antagonistic upon first contact, but, through constant association they gradually adapt themselves in harmony, except in rare cases where association has the opposite effect of leading, eventually, to open hostility between these units. It is a well-known fact that after a man and a woman have lived together for 10 to 15 years they become practically indispensable to each other, even though there may not be the slightest evidence of the state of mind called love. Moreover, this association and relationship sexually not only develops a natural, affinity between the two minds, but it actually causes the two people to take on a similar facial expression and to resemble each other closely in many other marked ways. Any competent analyst of human nature can easily go into a crowd of strange people and pick out the wife after having been introduced to her husband. The expression of the eyes, the contour of the faces and the tone of the voices of people who have long been associated in marriage, become similar to a marked degree. So marked is the effect of the chemistry of the human mind that any experienced public speaker may quickly interpret the manner in which his statements are accepted by his audience. Antagonism in the mind of but one person in an audience of 1,000 may be readily detected by the speaker who has learned how to feel and register the effects of antagonism. Moreover, the public speaker can make these interpretations without observing or in any manner being influenced by the expression on the faces of those in his audience. On account of this fact an audience may cause a speaker to rise to great heights of oratory, or heckle him into failure, without making a sound or denoting a single expression of satisfaction or dissatisfaction through the features of the face. All master salesmen know the moment the psychological time for closing has arrived, not by what the prospective buyer says, but from the effect of the chemistry of his mind as interpreted or felt by the salesman. Words often belie the intentions of those speaking them but a correct interpretation of the chemistry of the mind leaves no loophole for such a possibility. Every able salesman knows that the majority of buyers have the habit of affecting a negative attitude almost to the very climax of a sale. Every able lawyer has developed a sixth sense whereby he is enabled to feel his way through the most artfully selected words of the clever witness who is lying, and correctly interpret that which is in the witness's mind, through the chemistry of the mind. Many lawyers have developed this ability without knowing the real source of it, they possess the technique without the scientific understanding upon which it is based. Many salesmen have done the same thing. One who is gifted in the art of correctly the chemistry of the minds of others may, figuratively speaking, Walk in at the front door of the mansion of a given mind and leisurely explore the entire building, noting all its details, walking out again with a complete picture of the interior of the building, without the owner of the building so much as knowing that he has entertained a visitor. It will be observed, 
in the lesson accurate thinking, that this principle may be put to a very practical use, having reference to the principle of the chemistry of the mind. The principle is referred to merely as an approach to the major principles of this lesson. Enough has already been stated to introduce the principle of mind chemistry, and to prove, with the aid of the student's own everyday experiences and casual observations that the moment two minds come within close range of each other a noticeable mental change takes place in both, sometimes registering in the nature of antagonism and at other times registering in the nature of friendliness. Every mind has what might be termed an electric field. The nature of this field varies, depending upon the mood of the individual mind back of it, and upon the nature of the chemistry of the mind creating the field. It is believed by this author that the normal or natural condition of the chemistry of any individual mind is the result of his physical heredity plus the nature of thoughts which have dominated that mind, that every mind is continuously changing to the extent that the individual's philosophy and general habits of thought change the chemistry of his or her mind. These principles the author believes to be true. That any individual may voluntarily change the chemistry of his or her mind so that it will either attract or repel all with whom it comes in contact is a known fact. Stated in another manner, any person may assume a mental attitude which will attract and please others or repel and antagonize them, and this without the aid of words or facial expression or other form of bodily movement or demeanor. Go back, now, to the definition of a master mind, a mind which grows out of the blending and coordination of two or more minds, in a spirit of perfect harmony, and you will catch the full significance of the word harmony as it is here used. Two minds will not blend nor can they be coordinated unless the element of perfect harmony is present, wherein lies the secret of success or failure of practically all business and social partnerships. Every sales manager and every military commander and every leader in any other walk of life understands the necessity of an esprit de corps a spirit of common understanding and cooperation, in the attainment of success. This mass spirit of harmony of purpose is obtained through discipline, voluntary or forced, of such a nature that the individual minds become blended into a mastermind, by which is meant that the chemistry of the individual minds is modified in such a manner that these minds blend and function as one. The methods through which this blending process takes place are as numerous as the individuals engaged in the various forms of leadership. Every leader has his or her own method of coordinating the minds of the followers. One will use force. Another uses persuasion. One will play upon the fear of penalties while another plays upon rewards in order to reduce the individual minds of a given group of people to where they may be blended into a mass mind. The student will not have to search deeply into history of statesmanship, politics, business or finance, to discover the technique employed by the leaders in these fields in the process of blending the minds of individuals into a mass mind. The really great leaders of the world, however, have been provided by nature with a combination of mind chemistry favorable as a nucleus of attraction for other minds. Napoleon was a notable example of a man possessing the magnetic type of mind which had a very decided tendency to attract all minds with which it came in contact. Soldiers followed Napoleon to certain death without flinching, because of the impelling or attracting nature of his personality, and that personality was nothing more nor less than the chemistry of his mind. No group of minds can be blended into a master mind if one of the individuals of that group possesses one of these extremely negative, repellent minds the negative and positive minds will not blend in the sense here described as a mastermind. Lack of knowledge of this fact has brought many an otherwise able leader to defeat. Any able leader who understands this principle of mind chemistry may temporarily blend the minds of practically any group of people, so that it will represent a mass mind, but the composition will disintegrate almost the very moment the leader's presence is removed from the group. The most successful life insurance sales organizations and other sales forces meet once a week, or more often, for the purpose of, of what? 
for the purpose of merging the individual minds into a master mind which will, for a limited number of days, serve as a stimulus to the individual minds. It may be, and generally is, true that the leaders of these groups do not understand what actually takes place in these meetings, which are usually called pep meetings. The routine of such meetings is usually given over to talks by the leader and other members of the group, and occasionally from someone outside of the group, meanwhile the minds of the individuals are contacting and recharging one another. The brain of a human being may be compared to an electric battery in that it will become exhausted or run down, causing the owner of it to feel despondent, discouraged and lacking in pep. Who is so fortunate as never to have such a feeling? The human brain, when in this depleted condition, must be recharged, and the manner in which this is done is through contact with a more vital mind or minds. The great leaders understand the necessity of this recharging process, and, moreover, they understand how to accomplish this result. This knowledge is the main feature which distinguishes a leader from a follower. Fortunate is the person who understands this principle sufficiently well to keep his or her brain vitalized or recharged by periodically contacting it with a more vital mind. Sexual contact is one of the most effective of the stimuli through which a mind may be recharged, providing the contact is intelligently made, between man and woman who have genuine affection for each other. Any other sort of sexual relationship is a devitalizer of the mind. Any competent practitioner of psychotherapeutics can recharge a brain within a few minutes. Before passing away from the brief reference made to sexual contact as a means of revitalizing a depleted mind it seems appropriate to call attention to the fact that all of the great leaders, in whatever walks of life they have arisen, have been and are people of highly sex natures. The word sex is not an indecent word. You'll find it in all the dictionaries. There is a growing tendency upon the part of the best informed physicians and other health practitioners, to accept the theory that all diseases begin when the brain of the individual is in a depleted or devitalized state. Stated in another way, it is a known fact that a person who has a perfectly vitalized brain is practically, if not entirely, immune from all manner of disease. Every intelligent health practitioner, of whatever school or type, knows that nature or the mind cures disease in every instance where a cure is affected. Medicines, faith, laying on of hands, chiropractic, osteopathy and all other forms of outside stimulant are nothing more than artificial aids to nature, or, to state it correctly, mere methods of setting the chemistry of the mind into motion to the end that it readjusts the cells and tissues of the body, revitalizes the brain and otherwise causes the human machine to function normally. The most orthodox practitioner will admit the truth, of this statement. What, then, may be the possibilities of the future developments in the field of mind chemistry? Through the principle of harmonious blending of minds perfect health may be enjoyed. Through the aid of this same principle sufficient power may be developed to solve the problem of economic pressure which constantly presses upon every individual. We may judge the future possibilities of mind chemistry by taking inventory of its past achievements, keeping in mind the fact that these achievements have been largely the result of accidental discovery and of chance groupings of minds. We are approaching the time when the professorate of the universities will teach mind chemistry the same as other subjects are now taught. Meanwhile, study and experimentation in connection with this subject open vistas of possibility for the individual student. Mind chemistry and economic, power, that mind chemistry may be appropriately applied to the workaday affairs of the economic and commercial world is a demonstrable fact. Through the blending of two or more minds, in a spirit of perfect harmony, the principle of mind chemistry may be made to develop sufficient power to enable the individuals whose minds have been thus blended to perform seemingly superhuman feats. Power is the force with which man achieves success in any undertaking. Power, in unlimited quantities, may, be enjoyed by any group of men, or men and women.
who possess the wisdom with which to submerge their own personalities and their own immediate individual interests, through the blending of their minds in a spirit of perfect harmony. Observe, profitably, the frequency with which the word harmony appears throughout this introduction. There can be no development of a master mind where this element of perfect harmony does not exist. The individual units of the mind will not blend with the individual units of another mind until the two minds have been aroused and warmed, as IT were, with a spirit of perfect harmony of purpose. The moment two minds begin to take divergent roads of interest the individual units of each mind separate, and the third element, known as a master mind, which grew out of the friendly or harmonious alliance, will disintegrate. We come, now, to the study of some well-known men who have accumulated great power, also great fortunes, through the application of mind chemistry. Let us begin our study with three men who are known to be men of great achievement in their respective fields of economic, business and professional endeavor. Their names are Henry Ford, Thomas A. Edison and Harvey S. Firestone. Of the three Henry Ford is, by far, the most powerful, having reference to economic and financial power. Mr. Ford is the most powerful man now living on earth. Many who have studied Mr. Ford believe him to be the most powerful man who ever lived. As far as is known Mr. Ford is the only man now living, or who ever lived, with sufficient power to outwit the money trust of the United States. Mr. Ford gathers millions of dollars with as great ease as a child fills its bucket with sand when playing on the beach. It has been said, by those who were in position to know, that Mr. Ford, if he needed it, could send out the call for money and gather in a billion dollars, a thousand million dollars, and have it available for use within one week. No one who knows of Ford's achievements doubts this. Those who knew him well know that he could do it with no more effort than the average man expends in raising the money with which to pay a month's house rent. He could get this money, if he needed it, through the intelligent application of the principles on which this course is based. While Mr. Ford's new automobile was in the process of perfection, in 1927, it is said that he received advance orders, with cash payments, for more than 375,000 cars. At an estimated price of $600 per car this would amount to $225 million which he received before a single car was delivered. Such is the power of confidence in Ford's ability. Mr. Edison, as everyone knows, is a philosopher, scientist and inventor. He is, perhaps, the keenest Bible student on earth, a student of nature's Bible, however, and not of the myriads of man-made Bibles. Mr. Edison has such a keen insight into Mother Nature's Bible that he is harnessed and combined, for the good of mankind, more of nature's laws than any other person now living or whoever lived. It was he who brought together the point of a needle and a piece of revolving wax, in such a way that the vibration of the human voice may be recorded and reproduced through the modern talking machine. And it may be Edison who will eventually enable man to pick up and correctly interpret the vibrations of thought which are now recorded in the boundless universe of ether, just as he has enabled man to record and reproduce the spoken word. It was Edison who first harnessed the lightning and made it serve as a light for man's use, through the aid of the incandescent electric light bulb. It was Edison who gave the world the modern moving picture. These are but a few of his outstanding achievements. These modern miracles which he has performed, not by trickery, under the sham pretense of superhuman power, but in the very midst of the bright light of science, transcend all of the so-called miracles described in the man-made books of fiction. Mr. Firestone is the moving spirit in the great Firestone tire industry, in Akron, Ohio. His industrial achievements are so well known wherever automobiles are used that no special comment on them seems necessary. All three of these men began their careers, business and professional, without capital and with but little schooling of that type usually referred to as education. All three men are now well educated. All three are wealthy. 
All three are powerful. Now let us inquire into the source of their wealth and power. Thus far we have been dealing only with effect, the true philosopher wishes to understand the cause of a given effect. It is a matter of general knowledge that Mr. Ford, Mr. Edison and Mr. Firestone are close personal friends, and have been so for many years, that in former years they were in the habit of going away to the woods once a year for a period of rest, meditation and recuperation. But it is not generally known it is a grave doubt if these three men themselves know it that there exists between the three men a bond of harmony which has caused their minds to become blended into a master mind which is the real source of the power of each. This mass mind, growing out of the coordination of the individual minds of Ford, Edison, and Firestone, has enabled these men to tune in on forces, and sources of knowledge, with which most men are to no extent familiar. If the student doubts either the principle or the effects here described, let him remember that more than half the theory here set forth is a known fact. For example, it is known that these three men have great power. It is known that they are wealthy. It is known that they began without capital and with but little schooling. It is known that they form periodic mind contacts. It is known that they are harmonious and friendly. It is known that their achievements are so outstanding as to make it impossible to compare these achievements with those of other men in their respective fields of activity. All these effects are known to practically every schoolboy in the civilized world, therefore there can be no dispute as far as effects are concerned. Of one fact connected with the cause of the achievements of Edison, Ford and Firestone we may be sure, namely, that these achievements were in no way based upon trickery, deceit, the supernatural or so-called revelations or any other form of unnatural law. These men do not possess a stock of ledger domain. They work with natural laws, laws which, for the most part, are well known to all economists and leaders in the field of science, with the possible exception of the law upon which chemistry of the mind is based. As yet chemistry of the mind is not sufficiently developed to be classed, by scientific men, in their catalogue of known laws. A mastermind may be created by any group of people who will coordinate their minds, in a spirit of perfect harmony. The group may consist of any number from two upward. Best results appear available from the blending of six or seven minds. It has been suggested that Jesus Christ discovered how to make use of the principle of mind chemistry, and that his seemingly miraculous performances grew out of the power he developed through the blending of the minds of his twelve disciples. It has been pointed out that when one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, broke faith the mastermind immediately disintegrated and Jesus met with the supreme catastrophe of his life. When two or more people harmonize their minds and produce the effect known as a mastermind, each person in the group becomes vested with the power to contact with and gather knowledge through the subconscious minds of all the other members of the group. This power becomes immediately noticeable, having the effect of stimulating the mind to a higher rate of vibration, and otherwise evidencing itself in the form of a more vivid imagination and the consciousness of what appears to be a sixth sense. It is through this sixth sense that new ideas will flash into the mind. These ideas take on the nature and form of the subject dominating the mind of the individual. If the entire group has met for the purpose of discussing a given subject, ideas concerning that subject will come pouring into the minds of all present, as if an outside influence were dictating them. The minds of those participating in the master mind become as magnets, attracting ideas and thought stimuli of the most highly organized and practical nature, from no one knows where. The process of mind blending here described as a master mind may be likened to the act of one who connects many electric batteries to a single transmission wire, thereby stepping up the power flowing over that line. Each battery added increases the power passing over that line by the amount of energy the battery carries. Just so in the case of blending individual minds into a master mind. Each mind, through the principle of mind chemistry, 
stimulates all the other minds in the group, until the mind energy thus becomes so great that it penetrates to and connects with the universal energy known as ether, which, in turn, touches every atom of the entire universe. The modern radio apparatus substantiates, to a considerable extent, the theory here expounded. Powerful sending or broadcasting stations must be erected through which the vibration of sound is stepped up before it can be picked up by the much higher vibrating energy of the ether and carried in all directions. A mastermind made up of many individual minds, so blended that they produce a strong vibrating energy, constitutes almost an exact counterpart of the radio broadcasting station. Every public speaker has felt the influence of mind chemistry, for it is a well-known fact that as soon as the individual minds of an audience become en rapport, attuned to the rate of vibration of the mind of the speaker, with the speaker, there is a noticeable increase of enthusiasm in the speaker's mind, and he often rises to heights of oratory which surprise all, including himself. The first 5 to 10 minutes of the average speech are devoted to what is known as warming up. By this is meant the process through which the minds of the speaker and his audience are becoming blended in a spirit of perfect harmony. Every speaker knows what happens when this state of perfect harmony fails to materialize upon part of his audience. The seemingly supernatural phenomena occurring in spiritualistic meetings are the result of the reaction, upon one another, of the minds in the group. These phenomena seldom begin to manifest themselves under 10 to 20 minutes after the group is formed, for the reason that this is about the time required for the minds in the group to become harmonized or blended. The messages received by members of a spiritualistic group probably come from one of two sources, or from both, namely. First, from the vast storehouse of the subconscious mind of some member of the group, or. Second, from the universal storehouse of the. Ether, in which, it is more than probable, all thought vibration is preserved. Neither any known natural law nor human reason supports the theory of communication with individuals who have died. It is a known fact that any individual may explore the store of knowledge in another's mind, through this principle of mind chemistry, and it seems reasonable to suppose that this power may be extended to include contact with whatever vibrations are available in the ether, if there are any. The theory that all the higher and more refined vibrations, such as those growing out of thought, are preserved in the ether grows out of the known fact that neither matter nor energy, the two known elements of the universe, may be either created or destroyed. It is reasonable to suppose that all vibrations which have been stepped up sufficiently to be picked up and absorbed in the ether, will go on forever. The lower vibrations, which do not blend with or otherwise contact the ether, probably live a natural life and die out. All the so-called geniuses probably gained their reputations because, by mere chance or otherwise, they formed alliances with other minds which enabled them to step up their own mind vibrations to where they were enabled to contact the vast temple of knowledge recorded and filed in the ether of the universe. All of the great geniuses, as far as this author has been enabled to gather the facts, were highly sexed people. The fact that sexual contact is the greatest known mind stimulant lends color to the theory herein described. Inquiring further into the source of economic power, as manifested by the achievements of men in the field of business, let us study the case of the Chicago group known as the Big Six, consisting of William Wrigley Jr., who owns the chewing gum business bearing his name, and whose individual income is said to be more than $15 million a year, John R. Thompson, who operates the chain of lunchrooms bearing his name, Mr. Losker, who owns the Lord and Thomas Advertising Agency, Mr. McCulloch, who owns the Parmalee Express Company, the largest transfer business in America, and Mr. Ritchie and Mr. Hertz, who own the yellow taxicab business. A reliable financial reporting company has estimated the yearly income of these six men at upwards of $25 million, $25 million, or an average of more than $4 million a year per man. 
Analysis of the entire group of six men discloses the fact that not one of them had any special educational advantages, that all began without capital or extensive credit, that their financial achievement has been due to their own individual plans, and not to any fortunate turn of the wheel of chance. Many years ago these six men formed a friendly alliance, meeting at stated periods for the purpose of assisting one another with ideas and suggestions in their various and sundry lines of business endeavor. With the exception of Hertz and Ritchie none of the six men were in any manner associated in a legal partnership. These meetings were strictly for the purpose of cooperating on the give-and-take basis of assisting one another with ideas and suggestions, and occasionally by endorsing notes and other securities to assist some member of the group who had met with an emergency making such help necessary. It is said that each of the individuals belonging to this big six group is a millionaire many times over. As a rule there is nothing worthy of special comment on behalf of a man who does nothing more than accumulate a few million dollars. However, there is something connected with the financial success of this particular group of men that is well worth comment, study, analysis and even emulation, and that something is the fact that they have learned how to coordinate their individual minds by blending them in a spirit of perfect harmony, thereby creating a master mind that unlocks, to each individual of the group, doors which are close to most of the human race. The United States Steel Corporation is one of the strongest and most powerful industrial organizations in the world. The idea out of which this great industrial giant grew was born in the mind of Albert H. Gary, a more or less commonplace small-town lawyer who was born and reared in a small Illinois town near Chicago. Mr. Gary surrounded himself with a group of men whose minds he successfully blended in a spirit of perfect harmony, thereby creating the master mind which is the moving spirit of the great United States Steel Corporation. Search where you will. Wherever you find an outstanding success in business, finance, industry or in any of the professions, you may be sure that back of the success is some individual who has applied the principle of mind chemistry, out of which a master mind has been created. These outstanding successes often appear to be the handiwork of but one person, but search closely and the other individuals whose minds have been coordinated with his own may be found. Remember that two or more persons may operate the principle of mind chemistry so as to create a mastermind. Power Manpower is organized knowledge, expressed through intelligent efforts. No effort can be said to be organized unless the individuals engaged in the effort coordinate their knowledge and energy in a spirit of perfect harmony. Lack of such harmonious coordination of effort is the main cause of practically every business failure. An interesting experiment was conducted by this author, in collaboration with the students of a well-known college. Each student was requested to write an essay on how and why Henry Ford became wealthy. Each student was required to describe, as a part of his or her essay, what was believed to be the nature of Ford's real assets, of what these assets consisted in detail. The majority of the students gathered financial statements and inventories of the Ford assets and used these as the basis of their estimates of Ford's wealth. Included in these sources of Ford's wealth were such as cash in banks, raw and finished materials in stock, real estate and buildings, goodwill, estimated at from 10 to 25% of the value of the material assets. One student out of the entire group of several hundred answered as follows. Henry Ford's assets consist, in the main, of two items, viz., 1. Working capital and raw and finished materials. 2. The knowledge, gained from experience, of Henry Ford, himself, and the cooperation of a well-trained organization which understands how to apply this knowledge to best advantage from the Ford viewpoint. It is impossible to estimate, with anything approximating correctness, the actual dollars and cents value of either of these two groups of assets, but it is my opinion that their relative values are. The organized knowledge of the Ford organization. 75%. The value of cash and physical assets of every nature, 
including raw and finished materials, 25%. This author is of the opinion that this statement was not compiled by the young man whose name was signed to it, without the assistance of some very analytical and experienced mind or minds. Unquestionably the biggest asset that Henry Ford has is his own brain. Next to this would come the brains of his immediate circle of associates, for it has been through coordination of these that the physical assets which he controls were accumulated. Destroy every plant the Ford Motor Company owns, every piece of machinery, every atom of raw or finished material, every finished automobile, and every dollar on deposit in any bank, and Ford would still be the most powerful man, economically, on earth. The brains which have built the Ford business could duplicate it again in short order. Capital is always available, in unlimited quantities, to such brains as Ford's. Ford is the most powerful man on earth, economically, because he has the keenest and most practical conception of the principle of organized knowledge of any man on earth, as far as this author has the means of knowing. Despite Ford's great power and financial success, it may be that he has blundered often in the application of the principles through which he accumulated this power. There is but little doubt that Ford's methods of mind coordination have often been crude, they must needs have been in the earlier days of this experience, before he gained the wisdom of application that would naturally go with maturity of years. Neither can there be much doubt that Ford's application of the principle of mind chemistry was, at least at the start, the result of a chance alliance with other minds, particularly the mind of Edison. It is more than probable that Mr. Ford's remarkable insight into the laws of nature was first begun as the result of his friendly alliance with his own wife long before he ever met either Mr. Edison or Mr. Firestone. Many a man who never knows the real source of his success is made by his wife, through application of the mastermind principle. Mrs. Ford is a most remarkably intelligent woman, and this author has reason to believe that it was her mind, blended with Mr. Ford's, which gave him his first real start toward power. It may be mentioned, without in any way depriving Ford of any honor or glory, that in his earlier days of experience he had to combat the powerful enemies of illiteracy and ignorance to a greater extent than did either Edison or Firestone, both of whom were gifted by natural heredity with a most fortunate aptitude for acquiring and applying knowledge. Ford had to hear this talent out of the rough, raw timbers of his hereditary estate. Within an inconceivably short period of time Ford has mastered three of the most stubborn enemies of mankind and transformed them into assets constituting the very foundation of his success. These enemies are, ignorance, illiteracy and poverty. Any man who can stay the hand of these three savage forces, much less harness and use them to good account, is well worth close study by the less fortunate individuals. This is an age of industrial power in which we are living. The source of all this power is organized. Effort. Not only has the management of industrial enterprises efficiently organized individual workers, but, in many instances, mergers of industry have been effected in such a manner and to the end that these combinations, as in the case of the United States Steel Corporation, for example, have accumulated practically unlimited power. One may hardly glance at the news of a day's events without seeing a report of some business, industrial or financial merger, bringing under one management enormous resources and thus creating great power. One day it is a group of banks, another day it is a chain of railroads, the next day it is a combination of steel plants, all merging for the purpose of developing power through highly organized and coordinated effort. Knowledge, general in nature and unorganized, is not power, it is only potential power the material out of which real power may be developed. Any modern library contains an unorganized record of all the knowledge of value to which the present stage of civilization is heir, but this knowledge is not power because it is not organized. Every form of energy and every species of animal or plant life, to survive, must be organized. 
The oversized animals whose bones have filled nature's boneyard through extinction have left mute but certain evidence that non-organization means annihilation. From the electron the smallest particle of matter, to the largest star in the universe, these and every material thing in between these two extremes offer proof positive that one of nature's first laws is that of organization. Fortunate is the individual who recognizes the importance of this law and makes it his business to familiarize himself with the various ways in which the law may be applied to advantage. The astute businessman has not only recognized the importance of the law of organized effort, but he has made this law the warp and the woof of his power. Without any knowledge, whatsoever, of the principle of mind chemistry, or that such a principle exists, many men have accumulated great power by merely organizing the knowledge they possessed. Greater than every failure is a blessing in disguise, providing it teaches some needed lesson one could not have learned without it. Most so-called failures are only temporary defeats. Greater than to believe in the heroic makes heroes. Greater than. Greater than Disraeli. Greater than if you do not believe in cooperation, look what happens to a wagon that loses a wheel. Greater than courage is the standing army of the soul which keeps IT from conquest, pillage and slavery. Greater than. Greater than Dash Henry Van Dyke. Greater than men cease to interest us when we find their limitations. The only sin is limitation. As soon as you once come up to a man's limitations, it is all over with him. Greater than. Greater than Emerson. Greater than you cannot become a. Greater than. Greater than power. Greater than community. Greater than achieve. Greater than success in any worthy undertaking until you become big enough to blame yourself for your own mistakes and reverses. Greater than. Greater than in your nor enduring.